Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by Squarespace, the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website, blog, or online portfolio. And they've recently launched a developer platform for complete code control. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, just go to squarespace.com slash twip and use the offer code twip3. This week on TWIP, emerging technologies in smartphone photography, photojournalists becoming targets for thieves in Oakland, California, plus an interview with Mr. Mike Larson about the state of wedding photography. It's Wednesday, March 6, 2013, and this is TWIP. And welcome back to TWIP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today on the show, we're going to be diving into smartphones getting smarter and smarter. Oakland, California, my neighbors are uh, targeting photojournalists and uh, basically taking their cameras away, which is not good. Um, plus, there's some other things we're going to talk about. Plus, there's a, uh, because this is WPPI week, there's a this is the week where the wedding and portrait photographers all converge on Las Vegas, Nevada. I had the opportunity to get Mr. Mike Larson on, who I've known for, geez, I want to say the better part of a decade. And uh, he uh, is one of those photographers that knows what he's talking about with regard to photography and business and trends. And he agreed to come on and give me an idea of or give us an idea of where wedding photography is versus where it was, say, 15 years ago. So here to chat with me about all of this stuff and more are Miss Valerie Jardin, Mr. Doug Kay, and a new voice on the show, Miss Darlene Hildebrandt. Hey, guys. Hello, Hi, Frederick. Frederick. Hey. Frederick. Hey, 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 welcome. All right, let's before we dive into the meat of the show, let's give a hearty welcome to the newbie, Darlene Hildebrandt. Hey, Darlene, what is going on in your world? And remember, this is audio, so you can't curtsy. Oh, you, can't, yeah. you can't curtsy. <laughs> <laughs> you can't curtsy on audio. But I appreciate you curtsying because I before we were doing the show, I was watching, I was catching up on episodes of The Tudors. And, you know, they were doing all the curtsy and your Her Majesty and your eminence and all that. So thank you for the curtsy. But uh, welcome. What's uh, where are you? Who are you? I mean, people know who you are because I've interviewed you already. But uh, just give a quick introduction as to who Darlene Hildebrand is. OK, uh, I've been a photographer for about 25 years in various different incarnations. I've done commercial studio work, industrial stuff. Portraits, weddings, travel, fine art, you name it, I've done it. And now I'm into more of the teaching mode. And uh, I'm currently working on a bunch of workshops, uh, doing some travel workshop stuff. I just met with an agent yesterday that's going to be working on a trip to Cuba with me. Nice. And potentially to China. And, um, yeah, that's what I got. That's what I that, got coming up. That's cool. And where are you based? You're you're another neighbor Edmonton. to the north, right? Yeah, I'm in Edmonton, Alberta, so I'm I'm just a bit northeast of you. And uh, I got a workshop coming up at the end of April in Drumheller, which is I like to call it like a little mini Grand Canyon. It's kind of a Badlands area, 
and it's uh, it's really cool. Can I can I offer a discount to Twip Listeners? You absolutely can. Yeah, go okay. for it. I, I set up as long as it's a hundred percent or more. But... <laughs> no, it's not a hundred percent. Unless it's for you, of course. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, if they if they want to come along, uh, it's a weekend workshop in Drumheller, Alberta. So it's a really funky area. We've got a night shoot in a ghost town and a, a model shoot at a, an old mine, an old coal mine. And I'll give the Twip listeners a hundred bucks off if they uh, want to come join me, and they just need nice. to use the discount code Twip, of course, and they can find information on it at www.herviewphotography.com/slash Alberta. Alberta, very cool. All right, well, welcome to the to the Twip Mayhem. It's good to have you on. Thanks, Bridget. All right, and also that other voice you heard was Miss Valerie Jardin, who has the name I, I love pronouncing because I sound like I, I actually could speak French if I tried, but I can't, so, other than escargot and stuff like that. So, so, bonjour. Or bonjour, um, comment allez-vous? You know, that's it. That's all I got. That's it. So welcome, Valerie. Welcome back. Thank you. Um, well, I just got back from San Diego. Amazing weather, and uh, now I'm back. Uh, came back in a snowstorm uh, Monday night, and wow. heading to Washington D.C. at the end of the week. So I'm going to have uh, summer, winter, and spring all in one week. So I love it. I love but it. Yeah. <laughs> it's You'll all have good. A good time. Washington D.C. is another one of those cities like Paris, where it feels like it wants to be black and white, right? So yes, so that's you'll my be first right time home. there. So <laughs> I'll you'll be, be right. uh, yes, I'm looking forward to it. Very cool. Well, welcome back. And then finally on the show is Mr. Doug K, Mr. Photo Walker extraordinaire. I got a ton of questions <laughs> for you, man. All so, right. So welcome back, man. It's good to have you Thank on you. again. It's, it's been a while. I don't think I've been on since January something. Oh, wow. uh, yeah, I've been since I was on the show. I've been in Cuba. I've uh, been in Maui. Uh, worked on a review of the Olympus OM, whatever that's called. The OMD, something or other. OMDE5M, whatever that thing is. Um, going to Death Valley next week, going to Turkey in a couple of months, Jeez. and uh, doing some Photoshop, advanced Photoshop teaching. Been pretty busy. So, Doug, I got to ask you, what pays your bills? How are you? How are you able? How are you able to do all this fun traveling and photography and all that good stuff, and and also maybe eat food and stay clothed? What's the magic trick there? The, the magic trick is what pays my bills are the uh, dot com startups that I did uh, 10, 15 years ago. Oh, you're that guy. Okay. Yeah, Got so, it. Got it. Well, congratulations. Thank we you. We all want to be that thank guy. You. So that's am, awesome. I, I, uh, people ask my career. My career is now a photographer, although I am technically a full time amateur. At least that's what I tell the insurance company. That's what you got to do. I love it. Cool. Well, welcome back, man. It's good to have Thank you. you. Thank you. Hey, hey, before before we get into my stuff, actually, um, my quick like updates are uh, uh, Bruce, who's one of our, our show notes writers, had a great suggestion last week. And he was like, well, we've got this vibrant Google Plus community going on. We should start tying that more into the show itself, other than just letting people know that the show released, which is what we've been doing. So the first step of doing that will be to do what Bruce is calling a critique of the week. So lots of people are posting some amazing photos in our Google Plus community. So what we're going to do is pick one of those or maybe a couple of those every week and critique them. So the show panel will go through and say, hey, this is right, this is wrong, or this is awesome, whatever. No holds barred. We're going to do that every week. And... Uh, 
and let you have it. So it, it may not be pretty. <laughs> so you, we may say bad things, but it'll be all in the all in the in the vein of helping you become a better photographer. So you know, keep, I got I got to say be, because I do a lot of competition photography competition. Yeah, I am really looking forward to being a judge for once. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> All right, you can be the Simon. How about yeah, that? Right. <laughs> I'm ready. You'll be the Simon. Okay, and then the other the other updates for me are um, a couple of weeks ago I launched the transporter contest where I was given away two of the the connected data transporter units. We announced a winner, or I announced a winner online actually through the the little widget that's on thisweekinphoto.com, but we didn't announce it on the on the the podcast itself. So I'm doing that now. The winner's name is Luke Gallard. He won it. I think he's out of Australia or somewhere, but he won the thing, and he's taking two of them home with him, or we're sending two of them to him, or rather the connected data folks are sending two of them over to him, and uh, he's the winner. In the next contest, I already announced it, but I haven't put it out there yet. I've been working out some little details of it. Um, but it's a Nicole kitchen sink contest. So Nicole launched Nicole Young launched a blog where or a, a store online where she's giving away. Well, she's selling like presets and all those sorts of things. So I told her in order for me to do a contest, it's got to be big. So I'm giving away everything she's selling in her store to one person. So you essentially take away her entire store if you win this contest. So keep an eye out for the blog post on thisweekinphoto.com. And you'll see that pop up, hopefully, by the time this episode goes live. Okay, and before we jump into the news, uh, Darlene, you were saying that there's some changes Some changes happened on Google Plus today that I may have missed because I was out actually consuming oxygen. What, what happened? <laughs> yeah, they, uh, it happened right in between, like, two posts, and, and it said, new profile, and poof, now it's like a giant profile pic right at the top. And I, uh, I played with it a little bit. I think I'm going to like it because what happens is as you scroll down on somebody's um, stream, their name stays at the top, and it's just kind of um, you still see their name and their info and their buttons, and now there's a link to your YouTube channel right there as well. Oh, okay. Well, I'm looking at my profile. I don't see any changes. Maybe it hasn't, hasn't hit my – maybe I don't have enough followers yet. Maybe it's alphabetical for you. Okay. Well, J, <laughs> right? So <laughs> – Okay, well, we will see. We will see. Well, cool. Well, thanks for that update. Let's jump into the news, guys. So story number one um, is about new advancements in smartphone photography. So, and there's a couple stories that I want to talk about in this vein. First one is from HTC. HTC is coining or has coined the phrase ultra pixels. So we went from pixels to megapixels to now ultra pixel. <laughs> so maybe there's a camera that Ultraman uses. I don't know. Anyway, so HCC has pushed this out. So basically what a what an ultra pixel is, let's see, I'm reading the notes here. So uh, the new HTC One features a four megapixel, one third inch CMOS sensor that uses larger pixels than most smartphone sensors. It's two microns up from 1.1 to 1.4 microns and allows you to capture... And I'm going to hold up. There's no quotes in here, but I'm going to hold up quote fingers up to 300% more light. Is that even possible? (laughs) 300% more light than traditional sensors. I don't know how that math works. So, Doug, I'm going to throw this to you first. So looking at this and these changes in this ultra pixel thing, we've talked about it before that that smartphones look like they may be the thing that at least supplants the point-and-shoot camera. Is this moving in that direction, or is this moving even further than that and putting a toe in the waters of DSLRs and Micro Four Third cameras? What do you think? 
Well, I certainly don't think it's going as far as the Micro Four Thirds or even close to the DSLRs. I mean, looking at these specs, the one thing that a couple of things that interest me. One is that it's image stabilized, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't. You know, I don't follow the cell phone market very carefully, but that seems pretty sophisticated for a cell phone. Um, that'll obviously have an effect. Three hundred percent more light. So what is that? That's you know not even two stops. So that's you know better than nothing. Yeah, uh, but, <laughs> yes. it's, but it's it's helpful. But you know, it looks I, good. It looks good in marketing copy. Yeah, copy yeah, it's, yeah, it's a big number, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I I think that. Oh, does Darlene have one? No. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. She's, she's looking at her. She's holding up her iPhone. That's what it is. For those who for those who can only hear what we're doing, um, I think. You know, I think the uh, it's just more evolution of this. I do think that, you know, smartphones. I mean, why wouldn't they just take get rid of the uh, point and shoot category? Why wouldn't they wipe it wipe it out? Because everyone's got one with them all the time. Mm-hmm. I gotta believe. I gotta believe that point and shoots are uh, being being minimized by these things. Valerie, when was the last time you used a point and shoot camera? Oh, gosh, I can't remember. Do you ever use a point shoot um, camera anymore, or is it? Yes, I, I, I used I, to no, be in I love. I used ago. to be in love with my and people on the show that have been following for any length of time know that I love, and I got to put a past tense on it. I loved my Canon G9, you know, but right. right now I couldn't. I think it's back there somewhere. I can't even tell you where it is now because I haven't used it in so long. It's it's the iPhone. It's my regular proper camera. Or recently, it's my GoPro, which I got to brag about, you know. So my Hero Three, which I'm I'm having an affair with. So, what do you? What's your what's your sort of clutch of cameras that you carry around? Yes, Doug, I Actually, see that. <laughs> I stopped using uh, a point and shoot long before I got a camera phone. Actually, um, I um, seems like I always carry a DSLR with me, even if it's with a, a 50 millimeter lens, and you know. In my car, a, a backup, an old, an old camera body that I don't care so much about, and I leave it in the car, or or I have my good Canon 5D Mark II, and and I take that. Um, I do love the iPhone, and I've been using it a lot, a little bit more now. Um, but if I want to take do some serious photography, then I'll just take my DSLR. Yeah. Although I'm in on the market for Micro Four Thirds. So am I. I've been saying that for like six months now, but I, I haven't pulled the trigger. Just gonna have to yet. make the jump together. I know. Yeah. Let's let's like you know we'll do Thelma and Louise and jump off the cliff together. <laughs> <laughs> Darlene, what about you? Are you uh, do you find yourself using a, a a a like little point and shoot at all in any of the things that you do, or is it all iPhone and DSLR? You know, I used to, and I used to just use it mostly for little video clips and things because I had a Canon 5D Classic, which didn't have video. So I used a little Fuji point-and-shoot just to grab some video just for blogs and stuff. Um, but now, honestly, I just use my iPhone or um, I'll pull out my DSLR, so I, there's nothing in between. But I think all three of us need to um, go and read Doug's review of the uh, Olympus because that's the one that I'm... That's the one that I'm putting on my wish list. Yeah, see, that's the thing. You know, I and I call it, I don't know if, if I'm coining the phrase or not, but it's kind of like junk food photography with your iPhone. It, it feels cool, and you can get a lot of shots and share them out instantly with people, you know, through Instagram or whatever you happen to be using. But I don't, whenever I shoot a photo like that, I don't feel like I'm... I'm actually going to get a photo that I could use for anything else. So I don't know. Maybe it's a mental thing. It just feels like it's not real. You know, it's like junk food. You know, I don't know. But Go that's ahead. okay. 
That's okay too. I mean, you, we don't always have. <laughs> Go ahead, Val. Oh, oh, I, I think it's okay too. We don't always have to uh, make printable material or or um, competition-worthy pictures. Yeah. I mean, we still it still counts. We need to exercise our vision and. If you're out with a cell phone, with your camera phone, that's better than nothing. And I think mm. it still still counts. It's you still grow as a photographer as long as you shoot. And if that's all you have in your pocket, well, shoot. See, better. I gotta I gotta argue that. I mean, I agree. I agree. I agree. It's better than nothing. But in some ways, I think it it gives you a false sense of security as a photographer. Now, if you're just mm-hmm. your regular person. Who who's not as into photography as we are, it's great. You know, as long as you capture something that reminds you of the moment, perfect. You got it. It's covered. But if you're an a advanced amateur or semi-pro or professional amateur like Doug, you know, you go out there and it, it feels like it gives you a false sense of security where, like, say it's your kid's first steps, right? And you, the only camera you have, you're like, oh, I got it covered because I have my iPhone, and you take some photos, and then 10 years from now, you're like, wow, I really should have bought that Micro Four Thirds or DSLR, because actually, I don't have the shot. <laughs> no, know? what you do is you say, oh, I wish I waited 10, year to, 10 years to have kids, <laughs> and then I would have had a better <laughs> cell phone, right? But I, I think... It's 300% more like. It's 300% more like, yeah. I think... That, I think you know, there are there are some legitimate uses for these cameras, too. I'll, I'll give you two examples that I use. I take shots of skies, clouds, with my iPhone. Mm-hmm. And there are times when, you know, here in California, sometimes we don't have a single cloud in the sky, and my shot desperately needs some clouds, and I'll plug in something from the iPhone, and it works really well for that. That's same completely with, unethical. Same mm-hmm. with, yeah, right. No, <laughs> I've never been accused of being ethical, so that's okay. So, uh, the other is textures. You know, there are a lot of times you're walking around and you see a texture and you want to grab that. And I know textures are unethical too, but um, there, there's and, and then there are people. There are people in my photo club here who do brilliant, brilliant work with just an iPhone. I mean, absolutely spectacular imagery. So, you know, it's it's all good. Yeah, yeah, and it's all good. It sounds like Doug. A lot of what you're doing is you're capturing components for composites or stock images, right, with your iPhone, and then you bring them in later and make something something that's larger than the sum of its parts, right? Mm-hmm. That's cool. That's cool. Maybe I'll start doing that. I don't know. Every now and then there is a cloud in California, so maybe I'll, uh, I'll <laughs> when I see one, I'll capture it in the wild. <laughs> I don't know. It's crazy stuff. The next, the next piece of the story was um, a company called Digital Optics debuted their newest creation. It's called MIMSCAM, and this thing has, again, quote fingers, blazingly fast focus and facial recognition, um, but the highlighted thing in this is it's got, well, an 8 to 13 megapixel uh, packages that are really thin. It uses 1% of the energy of traditional camera sensors, but it has um, Lytro-like technology, right? So where the Lytro uses this light field technology where it can capture a light field, and then you can go into that light field in three dimensions and focus on individual points in in that on that z-axis later so this thing apparently allows you to do that darlene i want to throw this to you so you've got a myriad of experience in different areas of photography this kind of stuff so MimCam, you know mims cam that's great awesome lightro functionality but looking at it from a working professional or working photographer standpoint this kind of technology is this something that you can see yourself using in the future or is it gimmicky for you 
Well, I, when I, I watched the little demo video of it, and uh, the thing that got me excited about it was the facial recognition thing, because if, mm-hmm. you're, if you throw that on a video camera, um, if you've tried doing video with your SLR, which I'm not super experienced at, you, you have to manually focus and losing the face if the person moves, right? So that mm-hmm. kind of excited me, and that technology, I could totally see applications for it in video, but... I think in the in the prosumer and the amateur market, I think it would be huge because um, even think about it in a pro market, you know, like a wedding shooter, right? How many times are you grabbing shots as a wedding photographer? Um, I don't know. Maybe you should go back and ask Mike Larson. Um, I was going to say none within the last five years or so. <laughs> <laughs> me either, other than than my family that begs me to do their weddings. Yeah. Uh, but you get you get grab shots, and sometimes you know your focus is is not quite there. So with that kind of technology, it allows you to to miss a little, and you can fix it later. I mean, what kind of app, you know applications? That's huge. Yeah, Doug. Doug, what at what point do our cameras become? drones that have pilots uh, rather than paintbrushes that we wield as artists. Well, I think this is the, you know, this could be a whole show on this because if you look at like Lytro technology, if you look at this idea that uh, some cameras now you basically shoot video and then just pull out one frame. Yeah. Like the red, right? Right. Like the red. So you, you don't have to even think about that decisive moment anymore. You just push a button and, you know, some of, some of these cameras even will record, you know, 10 seconds before you push the button. Yeah. Right. So from the time you start pushing the button, it, it says, well, I shaped the last 10 seconds. You know, and I think it's a fascinating dilemma because on one hand, uh, they scare me. They offend me. I think you know. Well, I think the idea that all—that's a big hand, Doug. I mean, come on. Well, all the all the things that I'm trying to learn to do as a photographer, like yeah. you know, capture the moment just at the right moment, um, to focus the image properly at the time I capture it, not later. Um, those things are like you know, oh God, that's going to make it too easy for everybody else. Yeah. On, on the other hand, you know. Um, you know, same. The biggest thing was when digital came in, and suddenly film got really, really cheap. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think everybody is to some extent both threatened by these developments, and then eventually they embrace them. Yeah, it's just, it's it's interesting. I could I can you know putting on my science fiction hat because I love science fiction. Um, I could see a future scenario where wedding or event photographers go out and instead of running around and sweating and eating energy bars to keep their their sugar levels up, you know, and trying to cover the whole thing, they go and they place sort of photography pods all over the place that are omnidirectional, that capture action in every direction, and then they sit down later and go pick out the sequences that they want rather than running around, you know? And, that, it, and then the next year after that, they could come out with an algorithm that does it programmatically? <laughs> you know? Yeah, but what what wedding photographer wouldn't give their eye teeth for a camera that almost guaranteed they'd get the kiss? Yeah, you know, but you can't like, guarantee it's, that. It's like though. no, but it's like Darlene says: you got the facial recognition, you got the focus, and you got the video, and you turn it into a still. I mean, if you're a pro, you need that. All the help you can get. All right, so let's, oh, that's a good. Let's let's switch that over, Valerie. So I want to throw this to you uh, because I know where you're going because you are the Give me an f-stop, give me a shutter speed, give me an ISO and a lens, and it doesn't have to be a, li- a zoom lens, and you're good to go. All this technology is well, cake, right? This is, I think this is taking the art of, out of photography. Um, 
I, I mean, I teach about shooting with intent and and telling the story by by selecting your point of focus or uh, predicting what's going to happen next in a, like in street photography. It's all about um, looking for that moment and and actually having the ability to see it first of all. Uh, so it's it's a little bit the same approach as doing the machine gun shoot. You shoot. A thaw or or the whatever spray and pray right. approach. So you're gonna film and then and then after the fact try to find that gesture that actually makes, you know, tells the story. Yep. If that's what it takes, I'm not even sure those peop those photographers may be able to even see it and yep. you know after the. But fact. at that point, it's not even recording the. It's just recording the event. You're not. Yeah, and you're it, not creating it takes no art. skills. Yeah, there's no skill and there's no art there's involved. No you're, skill. Just, you're recording the events and yeah. you're making a visual record of the event and you're not yeah. creating something that's um, a keepsake memory. Okay, so I, I have it, to ask it, Valerie it a question. Valerie, I have to ask you. Would you be willing to go back to CF cards that only held enough for 36 exposures? Yes. Oh, you would? Okay. For a day, yeah, I do that all the time, and I encourage my students to do it. I mean, to to limit yourself, you, I, and I actually that was a, a discussion we had in my workshop last weekend. If you, if you're more selective, and if you take your time, and you limit yourself, you will have more keepers than if you shoot 500 frames in a day. If you, yes. if you do street photography, I really believe that people shoot way too much. And, and, hey, Valerie, and I Valerie, I think I'm getting some weird kind of audio something out of your mic. You sound like you're like you're drowning or something. So fix that or or reboot or something and come back in because I we could barely understand you. Okay. All right. So, uh, Doug and Darlene, you're still there. You can hear. You can hear me, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. While Valerie's getting that fixed, let's move on to this next thing, which is a little disconcerting. So this, or a lot disconcerting, on a number of fronts. So the topic is photojournalists in Oakland, California, which is Doug, our neighbors, right? So yes. to your to your east and to my west, um, uh, are becoming the targets for thieves, which makes sense, right? So you're walking around with this camera bag full of thousands and thousands of dollars of gear and uh, and it's portable. All you need is the bag. So screw screw taking port purses and all that. Look for the people with the, with low pro on their bags and you'll probably have a bigger payday. So what how is this going to affect you, Doug? And I'm glad you're on the show to talk about this because I know you do you probably have done more photo walks than most of us and will do more than most of us and you're in this area, how does this story affect you, the fact that people are out there actively targeting people like you with expensive gear? Well, certainly the case of the photo walk, you're, you've got safety in numbers, especially if you're walking around, you're Thomas Hawk, and you've got 200 people walking around with you. No one's going to walk up and start stealing your cameras. But um, uh, I'm sensitive to it. You know, I was just talking to Silarina this afternoon. He's going to Cuba also to do a workshop, and mm -hmm. one of the questions Sil asked me was, you know, whether we – felt safe there and what about camera theft and in cuba in particular it felt very safe actually but it this is a problem um you know in new york city people are if you wear a pair of white earbuds you're going to lose your ipad or your iphone yeah, yeah. Um, that was like two years ago that was a big story people were getting mugged because hey look white earbuds that equals mm -hmm. at least you know three or four hundred dollars right and, it's, and it's it's still going on there i understand 
And, uh, you know, you walk around with a big DSLR and you're attracting a lot of attention. So I think the recommendations of, uh, you know, working in groups, uh, it's a shame that a photojournalist has to have a security guard with him or something. But, um, of course, we could make a lot of jokes about Oakland, too. We won't do that, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's an issue. I, I shoot a lot in San Francisco in, in urban parts of town. I've felt comfortable, but, you know, maybe I should be more careful, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but it goes for all over the world. Right. But it's interesting because you hear this in Oakland, our backyard, but then you've got photojournalists run around Iraq and, you know, all kinds of places like this with rocket launchers and all kinds of dangers around them. And you haven't heard about them getting their cameras jacked. Uh, Darlene, how does how is this going to affect you? So you're going you're going around the world doing these workshops and. I would assume that people are people all over the world, not just localized to Oakland. And, you know, not everyone is as well off as people in North, North America. Right. So what do you, how are you going to, how are you going to safeguard against that when you're, when you're traveling and especially with workshop attendees? Well, I think Doug hit on a couple of things. I mean, there's, there's some safety in numbers and some of the people that have inquired with me on coming with some of my workshops, that's part of the reason they wanted to come is, is to be with a group versus going by themselves, you know. Um, I've traveled all over the place, and there's not very many places that I've felt unsafe, to be honest. New York was not one of them. Yeah. Um, I felt perfectly safe in New York. But I also I also think it's like common sense, too, for the most part. You know, like don't go to Harlem at night, right? And that's yeah. for anybody. Um, mm-hmm. You know, don't go, don't go to the Bronx, right? So don't go down a back alley. Um, you know, stay, stay in pairs if you can or groups or, you know, better yet, I have my own personal bodyguard who is my husband who is six foot two and, and nearly a black belt in Taekwondo. <laughs> so, you know, you could travel with your own bodyguard, which would be another thing. But I think uh, another thing we touched on earlier is those micro four thirds cameras, you know. Right. Like, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. One of the reasons I'm looking at that is because I want that target off my back. And the other benefit of traveling with one is let's say you go to some of these places and you want to photograph people, what happens when you bring out your 70 to 200 to 8, right? I mean, people shy away from that, and they automatically assume you're a journalist or a pro, Mm -hmm. and one of two things is going to happen. They're either going to put out their hand for money, they're going to want you to pay them because they think they're now famous, or they're not going to let you take their photo. Whereas Mm -hmm. you pull out a little four-thirds, and they're going to assume that you're a tourist, and they're not going to have a problem with it. Yeah. So that's 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 my take on it. That's interesting. I I remember... Ah, uh, geez. When I was in the military, there was one of the photographers, you, one of the more advanced photographers when I was new, would go out on assignments all the time. And one of the things that he did was he'd get a, because we got new cameras from time to time, he'd get his new camera in. I remember it was a Nikon, I think it was an F4 at the time, you know, which was the camera, still film, right? But it looked beautiful, this beautiful black sort of machine of technological beauty and the first thing he would do was beat it up and make it look ugly and put like scratches on it and black tape and masking tape and all this stuff to make it look like it wasn't really that valuable piece of gear and i'm wondering if that is that the way that we need to go these days you know you get this new doug you get your gopro instead of making it look like a gopro you make it look like a uh, you know a box of uh I don't know raisins or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there there's there's some people who think if you have a high end camera like a 5D Mark III or a D800 or a D4, you put the black tape over it. I, you know, who knows how sophisticated these thieves were. What's what's scary about this Oakland story is 
that this gear was stolen at gunpoint. This is not right. the same as somebody who grabs a camera or grabs a low pro bag. This was a potentially violent uh, theft, and that's it that's ended a, very badly. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot scarier than you know. Oh God, some you know I, I put mine on the ground in, in a restaurant and someone picked up my camera. So uh, it's a this is a different level of of problem. So Valerie, you go to Paris a lot, and there's there's some pretty shady areas of Paris as well. And shady characters in Paris and all over the world, right? So not mm-hmm. just not just Paris, not just Oakland, not just San Jose or San Francisco. So how do you, when you're leading workshops, what are what are you doing to make sure that your back is covered and you know people aren't going to walk away with with gear? Well, we usually stay away from the really really shady areas, and I've always felt safe in Paris, even in the middle of the night in the subway system, but. Um, and by myself, it is a fairly safe city compared mm-hmm. to, you know, even Minneapolis. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so, um, no, I carry, and sorry, I missed part of the conversation. Maybe somebody mentioned, like, the camera bag I, I use. Um, recently, I've been using the retrospective think tank, mm-hmm. and uh, it doesn't look like a camera bag. Yeah. Uh, granted, my camera is always outside of the bag, but, um, and, uh I don't use a strap that says 5D Mark II. I think mm-hmm. that's kind of common sense. Good Plus, point. they're very they're very uncomfortable. Anyways, I use a black rapid strap, which takes the neck pain away. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm always aware of my surrounding. I mean, wherever I am, I'm always quite aware of what's happening around me. I kind of feel like I'm always looking everywhere around me. Yeah. I think you have to you have to use common sense. Yeah. And if you're in a spot like if when I'm in the in the metro in Paris or anywhere in in a in public transportation, I usually put my camera in the bag, which doesn't look like a camera bag. Mm-hmm. You know, use a few simple steps. Um, yeah. That's but if a good somebody, point. If somebody wants your gear, they're gonna take it. And I would say, if someone really wants your gear and they it's your it. gear, your gear is standing between them and buying formula for their kid. Just you know, well, and they have a gun. Exactly. Give it away. It's not worth it. Exactly. Yeah. Give it. Give it away. So that that's a really good point that I wanted to bring up. I'm glad you touched on that, Valerie. Is the whole idea of camera bags, and we as photographers are. We love camera bags, right? You can never have enough camera bags, and they're all shiny, and they're new. Doug is probably sitting in a room full of camera bags over there. But, but the, the dirty secret of that is, especially lately in today's climate, having a brand-new camera bag that looks like a camera bag is a non-starter. So, you know, we need, to, we need to have those ugly messenger bags that look like you're carrying around your clothes in it or something, right? And there are more and more of them available, too, yeah. um, they're colorful color um, camera bags, not that look like just regular messenger bags. So yeah, um, yeah. I need I need to get a camera bag that looks like like I've got dirty underwear in it or something. <laughs> you know, it's just it's just got, not I've good. Got some of those. <laughs> <laughs> the bag, Doug. The bag, not oh, the other. Oh, oh. <laughs> you can keep you can keep the other stuff. <laughs> Well, you could actually go buy a regular backpack, like from a camping supply place, and then go buy those foam inserts and build your own sort of yeah. camera bag inside another bag. So make it, yeah, make it a little more subdued. Or maybe we need to go back to wearing those those crazy uh, photo vests. No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> No, you could go buy a camera bag and then tie it to the back of your car and drive home with it to get get some wear and tear on it and then put your stuff in it and you're good to go, right? 
I don't know. You know, I mean, all all joking aside, it's just you know how to to save the the way that I safeguard against this, and I guess this is just a life tip is. You know, you got to keep your eyes open wherever you are. You can't let your guard down, especially if you're carrying expensive gear, which 99% of the time we all are because you at least have your iPhone on you, which is worth a lot of money to a lot of people. So you can't afford to be uh, oblivious to the dangers around you and that some people maybe have nefarious intentions about sort of separating you from your, your gear with the assumption that, oh, they're rich anyway. They'll just get another one, so I'll just take it from them. Um, here's, here's another way to look at it. All the tourists today have big DSLRs, <laughs> right? Yeah. If you go, you know, I once did a photo walk, and I thought I'd be able to find all the people on the photo walk by looking for the good cameras. This is in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And standing around the cable cars, everybody had big Canons and Nikons, and none of them were part of our group. But I like Darlene's idea of the micro four-thirds cameras because, mm-hmm. you know, let the bad guys take the big DSLRs. Um, you know, if they're, if they're really, really smart bad guys and they, they know that your Olympus is a, is a valuable camera, otherwise they're going to think that the guy with the big lens spent the most money. Yeah. What about insurance? Does insurance play into this? Well, I, I, can, have it. I can answer that from the point of view of a, quote, amateur. Yeah. Insurance is a, one of the best bargains going. I pay a dollar twenty-five per hundred dollars worth of gear per year. So a thousand. If full, it is full replacement, and it's for all causes. Even if I, if I drop it myself or I lose it, it's. Uh, but this is only. This isn't for professionals. It's more yeah. expensive for a pro. For me, it's. So a thousand dollars cost me um, whatever that is twelve dollars and fifty cents a year to insure. Yeah. It's nice. a very good bargain. So where who is that through? That's State Farm. Just State Farm. State Farm, if if you have a homeowner's policy, I love it, and I do. Right, but but so that's, it's it's the best bargain out there, and I I think there's probably something comparable for professional photographers. All I'm sure costs more money. It's a lot more expensive, yeah. yeah. Valerie, what are you, what are you using? Um, I Nothing. have insurance. You're... Also, no, I do have insurance, but it's not full replacement because because I travel internationally and it's my business. Yeah. So it's uh, it's not full replacement, which is what I wanted, but the price was <laughs> extremely uh, much higher than what Doug mentioned because uh, full replacement. You get, to the, you get to the level of well, you know, for that price, I could just go upgrade my camera every year, right? And well, it- exactly. But full replacement for if you're not using your gear for work is so worth it because that, I mean that's what it is full replacement you somebody steals your 5D Mark III you get a new 5D Mark III it's yeah. not on the value of it at the time it's full replacement yeah. so there is no reason not to have insurance for sure so then so then the advice and I'll throw this to to Darlene and Doug so the advice for workshop leaders and photo walk leaders is to a have insurance and travel in pairs and keep your eyes open is that sign is waivers. that fair? <laughs> what was that, darling? Sign sign waivers so that if something happens, you're you're not legally responsible. Sign um, waivers. Oh, I, wow. I educate my students like Valerie does too as to the dangers and how you can protect yourself. Like you said, it's it's you know sensory awareness, right, at all times. Yeah. And and whether you have a camera or not, I mean, you know, somebody could be wanting your. I don't know, your tennis shoes or something. You never know. I mean, weirder things have happened. Right, it's not right. just just camera gear. I think you have to be aware of your surroundings all the time, no matter what. Yeah. Where- I mean, and you, I, I would argue that, 
you know, you guys, I would say females have more sort of muscle memory built in with making sure that you're aware of your surroundings at all times because you have to. Like mm -hmm. walking to your car in the parking lot at night, you know, Doug and I probably, yeah, you know, something might happen, but we, we're not worried about it. Where you guys would probably be smarter to have someone walk you out to your car in the middle of a dark parking lot at midnight, right? So that kind of like branding or or mindset that's already in your head just extends out to photography and it needs to continue and the rest of us need to start thinking in that direction as well mm -hmm. especially when you're carrying around thousands of dollars worth of gear right true yeah all yeah. right Okay, uh, before we continue, guys, I want to give a nod to our sponsor. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website, blog, or online portfolio. Squarespace gives you and your website users the best experience, and not only that, the best mobile experience. They've developed new templates with mobile-ready responsive designs, which means your site automatically restructures itself to look great on any brand smartphone tablet or computer and the cool thing is like when you add images to your site the back end or the engine behind Squarespace takes that image and then it generates seven different versions of that image so that the correct size loads for whatever device happens to be looking at the site, which results in your site looking professionally designed no matter what kind of browser or what kind of device is looking at it. It's fast. It's easy to use. They've got beautiful templates with 100% drag and drop functionality for all of their customization tools. And they've got this new tool called a page builder that uses the layout engine, which allows you, allows you to customize your pages by dragging and dropping blocks of content like photos, videos, text, social media content, it, you know, basically whatever you want, and then preview it as you go. So it's kind of WYSIWYG to the nth degree. It's really, really cool. So the, the gist of all this, it makes it easy for anyone advanced or beginner to build a site, get it up and running, make it look amazing and get it out to people as quickly as possible. So you can get back to what you love and that's taking photos and making content. They've got great, like I mentioned, great social media integration and they allow you to import sync and publish from those social media sites in just a few clicks dynamically. And it refreshes the content whenever content is new or new content is published on your feed from those social circles. So your, the result is your site remains fresh all the time. So you could pull photos in from your Instagram site, instantly sync pages and galleries to Facebook, auto publish new entries from your Squarespace blog to Twitter. It just goes on and on. So it's a powerful engine that's designed for people like us, for people that, that are content creators and just need to get that content out and they need it to look great and they need it out quickly. So for the TWIP audience, they're offering a free trial. Just head over to squarespace.com slash TWIP. You can sign up for a free account. You don't need a credit card. Just try it out. Start building your website. Then if you decide that you want to keep that website or purchase it, just use the offer code TWIP3. That's TWIP and the number three because we're in March. And uh, you'll get 10% off your first purchase on new accounts. And that includes monthly and annual plans. Once again, that's squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP3. You've got everything you need to create an exceptional website. 
Okay, let's continue with the show. Uh, let's jump into the interview. It's WPPI week, and yesterday, I was it yesterday? It was yesterday or today. I had a chance to sit down with Mike Larson, a good friend of mine, and an amazing photographer who's based out of San Luis Obispo, California. He and I were talking kind of in the spirit of the Wedding and Portrait Photography International Week, or WPPI week. So we were talking about the state of wedding photography from his perspective. And he's a young guy. Like when I talk to Mike, he's like a, he's a cool, good looking surfer dude. And then he's like, Oh yeah, I'm a veteran. I've been in the business for 15 plus years, you know? So now he's, he knows more than most of the people that have entered the business knows. And he's uh, gracious enough to share some of that info with us basically on how the industry and wedding photography in general has changed both demographically and technologically over the past, say, 15 years. So give this interview a, a listen. I'm here with Mr. Mike Larson. You may have heard of him before. He's been uh, shooting for quite some time now. He's a, he's a private estate and vineyard wedding photographer. He's based out of San Luis Obispo, California, but shoots all over the globe. He's very rarely you know, in one place for any amount of time. Um, so Mike, last week was um, at a conference down in Santa Barbara. We were just talking about that before I clicked the record button on this interview. And he was sharing some insights about just sort of the state of the industry and wedding, the wedding photography industry and what has changed over the past, say, five years. So I thought it'd be good to talk to that, especially considering the week that this is released is WPPI. So I wanted to talk to that in terms of where things are going, where things have been, and if you're wanting to get into this business or you're already in this business, what are some things that you can do now to be successful going forward? So Mr. Mike Larson, welcome to This Week in Photo. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to to chat with you today. Yeah, man, it's all it's always a pleasure. I feel I've known you forever. It seems like, and but we very rarely get to talk. You're we're one of these these ships of the night, and every now and then we surface and you know and and have a conversation, and then uh, and then you tell me things like, oh yeah, I've had two kids since the last time we talked. <laughs> Has it really been two years? <laughs> it's been that long. Yeah. yeah. So, so first off, thanks again for coming on the show. Let's dive right into this. I know you you've got a ton of stuff to do, so thanks for taking the time out of your day to do this. But let's let's jump into this um, wedding photography. You've been doing this for how many years now? You know, I started in 1997. My first wedding was in Sonoma, Sonoma, California. Nice. Yeah. 97. Wow, that's amazing. So, which officially makes you a veteran. You realize that, right? Yeah, it doesn't feel like it, you know. Yeah. That's great, but, but but having you know, with great power comes great responsibility. Now you're a veteran. Now you uh, you know you have the the curse of knowledge that you can share with the people that are on the path before you. So looking looking back, of, of just sort of a, a thirty thousand foot view of where things were and where things are right now. How is the, what are the broad strokes of how the industry has changed, wedding photography has changed from 1997, say, to 2013? Well, I think back then there was very little community. Mm-hmm. Now we have community. Um, I mean, I had my first website in 1996, um, even before I was doing weddings. And now to see that you know, come full circle and actually to watch all of the technology bring up workflow issues in every area that most people don't really realize is going to be a problem until they get further into it. Right. Um, so I think people realizing what's, how am I, how am I not going to let this own my life <laughs> mm-hmm. with all these new things that come on? I've seen over the last you know 15 years um, become issues. Um, and I think that the, the great thing has been the, 
the advent of, you know, podcasts like this and being able to kind of get that information and knowledge. Mm -hmm. uh, I heard it said once that the greatest inhibitor to um, gaining wisdom is thinking that you already have it. And I think that one of the things that I've seen on a negative side is our, is our industry in actually many industries in, Cal in America is this expectation that I want to start off at the top. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that um, I've seen creep in over the years. You know, fewer and fewer people really want to assist. They want to just jump in and start off, you know, go to a workshop or two and start off, you know, right up here or here. And, yeah. you know, I I'm not saying everyone has to do it like I did where you start off, you know, working hard, but I think it does build a character that really makes your business last. I think if you're really quick to, I mean, in any industry, people that are quick to rise to the top, you know, usually those people are the people that don't always stick around forever, yeah. um, who get burned out or who, you know, want to pursue the next thing and then they get out of photography. So, but now I think the, the increasing rate of the amount of photographers in the industry is, I think the statistics are the state of the, the industry. You have 125,000 photograph, well, wedding and portrait photographers in the industry. Uh, 125,000 total in the, in the U S or, or global in the U S. Okay. Okay. Um, you have out of those, you have 25% coming into the industry every year. Now that number's growing, but there's an attrition rate too. Um, so 25% are going out of business a year. So the statistics I've heard is it grows by five to 15,000 photographers a year net increase. Those are the rough numbers. Obviously different statistics come from different sure, places. Sure. Um, Obviously, it's an industry very easy to get into. People get into it and then realize the brevity or the um, complexities of the industry. And a lot of those new people really shape, um, you know, what the buyer's perception or the people who are pursuing wedding photography are. That, that's what they see a lot of. So that, you know, unfortunately is the face of the industry in some aspects from a lot of the, you know, the photographers who have been in it a year or two are facing, you know, these the people that come in who are kind of um, approaching the which which I've found you walk into a room full of wedding photographers and it's a, it's a, it can be a very interesting dynamic in that mixer which I'm sure you're aware of mm -hmm. of um, pride or of you know proving themselves and whatnot. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So it, we talk about this over the over the course of the last we've been talking about it over the, the course of the last couple of years the the whole idea of you know, for lack of a better term, the Uncle Bob photographer, right? No offense to anyone out there whose name is Bob, right? <laughs> but the Uncle Bob photographer who gets a, you know, an entry level Canon for Christmas. And by the way, my photography teacher in school was Bob. <laughs> See, <laughs> the root of all evil, Bob. Um, yeah, He's nice guy, though. he's a really good guy. I bet, I bet, yeah. But you know, so. People people get the let's, let's call him John Doe, right? So John John gets his camera from you know for Christmas. He starts a Smug Mug account, you know, put some pricing on there, or a Zenfolio account, whoever, right? They start an account, or they go they like really put the pedal to the metal and get a Pictage account or something like that, right? And they then they hang out their shingle. They go maybe even go so far as to get a business license and get everything sort of set up. And then they pull out the spreadsheet of, okay, I know, let me do some research. I know Mike Larson and people of his ilk are charging this much per wedding. If I can do that once a weekend for 52 weekends in the year, I'll never have to work again a day in my life. And that's their business model, right? 
and there therein lies the danger. So to those people that have that in their head of okay, I'm going to be a wedding photographer. I did the multiplication. I'm going to be rich starting next weekend, even though I just read a book on photography. What what do you say? I mean, what are what? How do you circumvent that? If there is a way to circumvent that? Well, you brought up an interesting point, and I think the number one thing is thinking this is an industry that you're going to get rich on. <laughs> Very few industries. I mean, you don't get rich going into an industry where there is uh, twenty, you know, twenty five percent new people getting into the industry every year. That's just <laughs> right. not. I don't care what industry you're. <laughs> that's not. That's not a, a method for getting rich. That's not reality. Yeah. The second thing is, is that I, I've come from the belief that work is actually a really good thing. Uh, I think that work is one of the few things in life where you get metrics back judging your character, your attitude, uh, your performance in ways that really are can be very much humbling and very much a, a, a measure of how, how you're doing. Right. And so in the work environment, you know, I think that's something that's actually really good. I mean, we look at... You're, everyone looks at their first job they ever got. You know, it was a humble job. You're, you're scrubbing floors. You're learning things about serving, yep. um, earning, and that you know life. And, and granted, the American dream kind of you know said, "Hey, get rich and be comfortable and do all these things and fake it till you make it. Make it look like you've you've done it." But I've got a chance to speak to you know small businessmen, photographers in twelve countries, and that's America is definitely an anomaly in that sense. Right. Right. But what I can say is this, the fact that we have the opportunity to leverage um, the amount of potential income for the day, that is a little more rare. You know, as far as, you know, working 60 hours a week at minimum wage, we have a, a potential to uh, to really have, have, a, have a significant income, which if done right, and we look at it as a performance-based industry that has a level of expertise and a level of um, your personality brought through because wedding really is a performance and an art and a service. It's kind of all those three round up. And it's a really unique industry in that sense. One of the trends that you talked about, you know, going back, it used to be a total technical industry. You had to be technically savvy. Now the technical side has gotten really easy. It's very, the learning curve is really high. So people started in the last, you know, two or three years, well, four or five years ago, it was really based on image, what your images were doing, Photoshop, all that stuff. Then it kind of transitioned into this, personality based you know everyone's like this and this couple and, and it really based on what i love and what i believe and i feel like now we're getting to a point where we're even the state of the industry is that we're getting kind of saturated with couple photographers husband and wife duo teams which i think is a good thing interesting uh, moms and all these things and i feel like now we're hitting a point where you know what the brides and grooms are really you notice one of the one of the reasons why the intro photographers don't get hired is they're you know, even if they brand themselves on a great personality, great, you know, good, good work, um, they're losing out because guess what? Their friends are into photography and their friends have great personalities. Right. Right. And so it's an industry of great personalities. Really. I feel like it's a transition to it's, I feel now the, the areas that I've really been able to increase and push my business have been in past my personality because I don't want this to be a narcissistic business where I'm focused all about me. Mm-hmm. But really when I start looking and saying like, how do I separate myself from other people? You know, one way is having a niche or specialization going further down a route. The other way really is expert, like an expertise in your industry. And if our business is all about capturing light, you know, 
why aren't brides or people asking photographers uh, lighting um, questions about light and timing and and all these things? And that's been one area that we've actually found that's been you know been an asset is you know when brides start asking questions about light and about the relation and about how they're going to feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one area, but I think the other area too, you know, combining your personality, the performance, the service expertise is something that people are, are trying to shortcut a little bit. Um, and I think that those photographers who try to shortcut that are going to find themselves in the masses really struggling. They're going to be part of that attrition, right? They're going to be part of the people that are like, yeah. And they're the people most susceptible to get hooked on hype. Um, you know, you got to do this one workflow or this one thing and you're going to be successful. And, uh, and I think there's a lot more, um, <laughs> a lot more to it than that, but yeah. nothing has to be complicated. Well, okay, let's, let's, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about those people that are in it. So we talked about, you know, Bob, you know, uncle Bob and John Doe, but the reality is the, the industry has shifted dramatically towards female photographers, right? Which you kind of alluded to the mom photographers a second ago. Can you talk a little bit to that? Like what, what's happening and what's driving that? And it used to be a male dominated sport, right? It used to be like the Dennis Reggie's and you know, the guys in the suits there with, you know, taking pictures and expensive albums and all this. And now it's not so much that anymore. What, what drove that? Well, you know, obviously the, the, the technical side was a great inhibitor. And as the technical barrier dropped, um, and people started to, well, that was one, one side. So that enabled a whole group of people who just love photography to say, well, gosh, I love this. I can do it. And then when people started, you know, handing the Benjamins over and saying, <laughs> I'll pay you for that. It's like, Hmm, exactly. <laughs> you got your chocolate and my peanut butter. Yeah. I, I love this. <laughs> so people started to take their hobbies and say, well, if I can make money at this, hobby, then I can pay for camera gear. And there's all a myriad of justifications for turning a hobby into a business, which some are good and some, you know, are possibly not so good. I don't think everyone should turn a hobby into a business. Right. right. Cause it but, will ruin the hobby, right? <laughs> That's turning a hobby into a business. The danger of it is you not liking the hobby anymore because there's too much writing on the hobby. It's no longer just a release. Right. Well, the definition of a hobby is something that takes money too. And a business is something that makes money. <laughs> exactly. But, um, so getting to your point of the industry shifted, you know, yeah. we were talking before the show, you know, 25% of photographers back in the day used to be female. Now it's 25% of photographers are male photographers. And a lot of that I think is the connection to the emotional, the feelings, because I think a lot of people hire, a lot of people hire photographers based on how they want to feel, how they want to look. And I think a lot of female photographers are gifted in that area in tune with that. Um, I, I know when, when I, when I'm photographed, when I teach our workshops and we see photographers, I, I think male photographers oftentimes don't really look at the dress or the fashion or the feel and they kind of miss that. Mm -hmm. I know I did for a long period of time in my early days. I didn't even see that. And so I feel like there was a disconnect there on the flip side. I hear a lot of male or, uh, or grooms say, gosh, I feel like all we did was kiss all day. (laughs) <laughs> and on a flip, so if there's a challenge from the females to make the guys feel like they're still cool right. and they still lo- love their photographs. So there's kind of a female male kind of, you have to be able to see both sides of what you're documenting in the wedding industry. But in or, terms of, or you go in as a husband and wife team, right? Oh, and that, I think that's something that's been wonderful to see that rise because I think working together as a husband and wife team grows your character and your relationship very fast because mm-hmm. you have to put unity about being right 
when you're on set, you, know, you can't get an argument and go, oh, I said 50 millimeter lens and you brought me 35 and now it's too late. You can't get an argument. <laughs> exactly. no. You're sleeping on the couch tonight, mister. <laughs> and sometimes it's like, it's crunch time performance. Like you can't be like, oh, so I'd love for you to get me that. Like opportunity's gone. Yeah. It's, it's like, hey, we need this now. Yep. And you would never do that in the kitchen or in the bedroom of a husband and wife, you know. Right. But so there's those dynamics that I think, you know, actually I think are really beneficial for a marriage. Mike, what, what about technology? So in in the old days, let's call them 10 years ago or whatever, you know, the deliverable to a, to a bride and groom or to a bride, that's a customer, right, was um, an album – or multiple albums, right? Maybe there's parent albums and then the main album for the couple. Um, maybe something online, maybe not back then. Uh, and maybe if you're lucky, some people from the bridal party or from the wedding itself would order prints and you'd make a couple of cents there. So is that the same dynamic that's going on now in terms of what you are delivering to the bride or has all that shift in your, like Mike Lars photography is giving things, you know, delivering the wedding on an iPad and all this stuff. What's changed technologically? Well, that's a good question. It's gone two directions. The first direction is we have gone towards, um, I mean, our albums we go for because people, I want people to go tangible. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we've actually gone back to everything that we do goes into print. Nice. Um, and print, whether, you know, it's in our, the albums, the, 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 we use Kiss for our, our wedding albums, but whether it goes into print um, for books. Yep. That's I beautiful. Yeah. We, we have some words that we kind of, word pictures we use to describe our brand. And, and a lot of them are timeless, you know, things that last forever and prints do. And uh, I was joking with a friend, was, we were talking about how this, the trend of ministers using iPads for the ceremony. I mean, yeah. Imagine how stupid that's going to look in 10 years. Can you imagine seeing a ceremony where some guy's reading it off an Apple Newton? Yeah. <laughs> you go. Really? Not good. Not good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that direction and then photographic prints as well. Happen to have one here, where we're actually going back and we're delivering, um, you know, photographic prints that have, I want to deliver prints. Because you can get prints for nine cents a pop, but we did a, a test over all of the, the labs like Snapfish, mm -hmm. Costco, Pictage, all the different labs. And it was shocking to see the difference in the print quality. So when they get uh, – and, and, and again, I'm a, I'm a service-based business. Sure. I don't want to base what I do around products because products are a commodity now. Right. Even though I offer them, I do want to make that unique separation and say, look, I want you to hire me. You pay a base rate and you get me for the day. Yeah. Products are above that. If you don't value products and you want to go a cheap route, I'm not going to fight you. But I am going to show you a level of what I offer at kind of professional level and say, hey, this you're going to pay a premium for, but it's the same line in what you're paying a premium for me. But I'm not going to force you to get frustrated with buying this when there's other services out there. If you want to go cheaper, cool. You'll get it, but you're going to look at it next to this and go, oh, I really paid for what I get. Yeah, I wish I paid an extra 25 cents for those. So what what are the uh, – so I'm putting you on the spot here. It sounds like you did a, quite a bit of research in terms of print quality across a number of different labs. Who came out on the top and who came out on the bottom? Well, I can tell you that um, the lab that we use, Pictage, yep. um, it, it was – the best. Um, we also, Pro DPI was a local lab we're good friends with. We tested them. They tested out really good. Mm -hmm. um, I actually did not get a chance to test Smug Mug um, or the Bay Photo, but I can tell you all of the labs that were discount, like Snapfish, the Kodak, the uh, Costco, yeah. 
all over the board. Costco tended to be dark green. Hmm. Um, Snapfish tended to be all actually soft focus. They were all, um, which I, which in here's the, the reality of it is you're paying a cheaper price. The prints were thinner. They didn't feel, they crinkled a little bit more. And you know, in the reality, like the, the average client may not necessarily be able to see that right away. They just may not be as, Wow, that looks really good. It's but, not going to blow their socks off. They're going to be like, "Oh, okay, that's okay." It look. It, they're going to have the oh, that print came out. <laughs> you know, it look, looks like it's it's properly exposed. So okay, whatever. But they're not going to say this is a Mike Larson kind of print, right? Right. Unless they see it side by side. So we actually right. show them side by side and say, "Hey, here you go." Because the main thing is, I don't want to force people into thinking of me as a product based person. Because mm-hmm. that's a that's a losing battle in our industry. Yeah. So I, I think while I say forcing products is a losing battle, that doesn't mean you can't offer them and you can't make, um, you know, be profitable selling them. I mean, we still sell a lot of kiss books to our clients. They love them. Yeah. And when yeah. they look at them, they just feel like this feels like I'm getting something that's going to last forever. Yeah. It's going to be in the family. They're going to be like, Hey, this is great grandma's wedding. Right? And if you say, Hey, come like if, if you ordering it from China, you know, it's not going to last forever. <laughs> right. Right. And, but you know what? That's an option. And I think our culture has come to, to grips with the fact that that's, we know that we get that. So that's not something we can fight, but we can um, show the alternative and there are going to be people that buy it. And I think there's a great market for people that want to buy it. Now you also asked the other direction of going, going the route of digital. Right. Right. So, Everything we actually we've actually dropped the lingo image picture pick we've dropped all of that lingo and just to go to photograph the word photograph because I feel like it's more timeless. Nice. Um, but the digital way that we go is via Pass Premiere, which is um, show its version of releasing the images. So it bypasses the DVD. Okay. What we found that's been great about this is we actually get a chance to see everywhere that our photographs are going on a digital. Our clients get to download them online. Um, and pass, you know, for 19 bucks an event, I avoid the DVD, the shipping. They get to see them instantly. The same moment, the photographs, keyword, yeah. <laughs> photographs, they get, they get these prints in hand. Yep. Same day. That they, so when they, this gets shipped to them, they actually, they actually get um, the photographs released via pass. Love it. And the benefit of that is we get to track everywhere they're gone. So we get to see where they're going. They get to share them via Facebook if they want or keep them totally private. We found those two ways to be the most streamlined um, ways to be able to share both tangibly and both digitally. Because there are times where sometimes we don't want to hang out on this all day. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm increasingly so for me. Yeah. Yeah. But to be able to have Pass, Pass comes up as an app on your phone so that I can actually go through my phone. And let's see if I can pull this up here in a very short time. Um. It comes up as an app on your phone. So like, so here's my client, right? Yeah. yeah. And up, I won't use my Band-Aid finger, but up comes, um, let me make sure I click the right one. Yeah. So I click on it and up comes the gallery of photographs from the event. It pops up just like this. And so oh, people nice. can literally scroll through the event and see all the photographs right there. That is I mean, my clients are freaking out. Really? They, can they love that? Yeah. Oh, they love it. So they can literally either share prints in hand when their friends want to come, and you, you can see t- the tangible, or they can see it on their phone. So we found that kind of dual dual purpose. And what, what service is that again that, that allows you to do that? Pass Premiere. Pass Premiere. And that's from, that's from the Show It folks? 
Yeah, so if you just go to PassPremier.com and you check it out, um, they uh, they have it's nineteen bucks an event, and it bypasses. We don't send DVDs out anymore um, because the reality is is that DVDs don't last. Um, they're not they're not long term. But people always have problems downloading them or whatever. And and DVDs. I mean, most portable Macs don't even come with DVD drives anymore. So yeah, DVDs are so like twenty ten. I don't know. <laughs> They are, seriously. Yeah. So if I can give my clients a way to share it, it proliferates me greater. Yeah. All right. So let's bring this full circle and close this off. Um, cost. So we talked a lot about branding and, and just sort of positioning yourself, you know, photographs versus pictures or images and all that sort of thing. And we talked about the idea of the entry-level photographers sort of making their bones before they jump into becoming pros. And we talked about you know, the the sort of tilt towards more females or, or family and women photographers in the space versus what it was. It was more heavily male. So with all that as a canvas, where are we looking at? Like, where are things now in terms of pricing for wedding photographers? You know, if you look at on the far left, we used to say, oh, he's a $500 photographer. He's going to show up at your wedding, shoot it, and then leave, you know, and give you you know, these days, maybe a URL that you can go download your images off Dropbox or something, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's on the far left side. That's 500. What are we looking at on the high end side? You know, what, what's, what's top scale? Um, good question. I think the middle market, I think the, the 3000 to $6,000 range, I, I would actually say there's four different levels. There's the entry level photographer, which anyone can jump into and anyone can kind of present themselves as that. Uh, get getting images on Dropbox and having a really quick turnaround. Mm-hmm. The problem is the fewer touch points you have when you're in that commodity in that lower level, you really are just a commodity. Right. Anyone can do it. Anyone can make five hundred bucks, thousand bucks. The reality is, is that that area, unless your business model is focused on as little effort as possible, you don't want to be spending twenty five hundred dollars on a blog and trying to impress other photographers. Don't waste your time. Yeah, just just. Spend as little amount of time as you can, deliver the highest quality product you can, get in, get out. Yep. Um, you jump up a level and then you're into like the $1,500 to $3,000 level. That's a, I think that's a majority of the market. I think that's a really good place to be. Um, I think that that's easily attainable by photographers. Again, making sure if you're going to be a generalist and shoot all, any, any work that comes your way, you still need to have the aspect of how do I, how do I not clatter it up with too much busy work, too much, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, too much fluff and emotion into your business model it has to be a really simple system with that. The only way to have up sales is to have more touch points with your clients to be able to develop relationships. You want to step up a level from that. You have to do one of two things. Number one, you have to have a branding that has clear, clear lines between what you're presenting, what you're saying and how you look and what you do. Um, the second thing that you have to have, is you have to have a specialization. You have to have something that you do that's different because the reality is all the planners, all the venues are getting hit up by photographers, five, 10, 15 photographers a week asking for business to the, to the planners, to the to the venues. They all look the same. Yeah. Unless you are radically different with your specialization or you network in with them and become a friend, become friends with them so that they feel like you're, you don't, you're not just looking for business, but there, there's a difference. 
So that takes time, and it definitely that's something that's like a two-year process. The relationship building piece of it. Right? Oh, you you got to come in not asking for business because then right. actually you you separate yourself by not being desperate. Right. Um, and so I think a lot of photographers come in, and their passion is oftentimes muddled with desperation. And I think that's we have a the people that hold the keys to the industry, the planners, the venues, um, and a lot of those people really are perceptive to that. Like you so want to be, you want to be Tiffany's. Like you want to be Tiffany's, where people are going in, and you know they're not really pressuring you to buy anything, and you know it's expensive. Versus when you go to buy a new car, and the minute you step on a lot, you know the the bees are on you. What's it going to take to put you in this car today, Mister Larson? You know, <laughs> right? And, you, and they tell you. I had a, I had a, a car salesman say, you know what? Like I'm in that hotel over there, and I need to make my first sale. Otherwise. I got to go back to Michigan and live with my my parents in the room. Like, <laughs> you're like that's like, my problem because <laughs> I'm not going to like you're guilting me now. <laughs> that's great. That's awesome, Mike. So so let's let's uh, let's close this off. So parting shots here. If uh, this is again, this is WPPI week, right? So one of the biggest uh, events in the industry, if not the biggest event in the the wedding and portrait photography industry of the year. So in the tone of that, or in the spirit of that. What advice would you give to folks operating at your level and folks that are, are wishing that someday they'll be at your level in terms of business success? What are, what are just a couple of tips, sage advice that you'd give to those folks? Yeah. Okay. Number one, don't overspend a WPPI. Don't <laughs> because you're wasting all the money that you're trying to earn. I, yes. Yeah. Number two, don't be prideful. I see photographers going, well, I'm just going to support this speaker. And they sit there in the back and they twit and they don't want to admit that they, that they can learn. Go to learn. Number, th- number three thing is don't just hang around your friends and just go to all the parties and try to have all these shallow relationships, never really getting deep with people. I encourage photographers, go seek out someone who's been in the business for a while and just sit down and say, hey, can I buy you lunch? Can I buy you coffee? And I'm just going to spend 10 or 15 minutes. You know, Don't be on your phone kind of going, oh, yeah. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I got to talk to this person over here. Like, focus, spend fewer, small, or a, a, short, a fewer amount of people and spend a greater amount of time with them and seek out people that you can learn from and really value, value them. You know, read up on them. Say, hey, I saw your blog or I saw this. And come with, come with the aspect that you know 1% and they're going to fill you in with the 99% versus coming in with pride going, yeah, I know all this. And, don't try to impress the people that are going to give you the information to grow. So I think if people approach WPI with that aspect, they're going to walk away a lot more successful, having wasted a lot less money. Pretty much just guarantee this. Nothing really great is going to happen after 10 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> after 10 p.m., you mean? <laughs> after 10 p.m. Like at that point, it's entertainment. <laughs> yeah. Forget about it, right? Yeah. Cool. That's great, Mike. All right. Perfect. This has been a great interview. Once again, thank you for taking the time. Um, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I said thank you for having me on the show. Oh yeah, yeah. You're welcome. Are you are you going to be at WPPI? I'm going to be WPPI. Are you um, speaking doing, or anything? I'm actually this year. I'm I'm doing some other projects. Um, but the one thing that I am doing is um, we we're do we do coaching. So there's a few spots open for people if they want some private coaching. Oh. Um, and we're prepping actually for a really cool um, all inclusive um, Italy experience. It's the fifth one we're doing, and it's May 12th through the 15th. Uh, you mind if I plug this here? Absolutely. Do. I was going to tell you to plug it. Go ahead. Um, MikeLarsonWorkshops.com. Um, it's all-inclusive. Um, it's about um, a little more than a grand. It's three and a half days of 
solid. Uh, it's like 30 hours of shooting, classroom, dialogue, discussion, um, and live shoots with people. And we're doing a mock wedding. We're going to talk about how to get in the industry. And, uh, and then there's actually coaching included with that. So that is, I'm really excited about. We're doing in Italy, um, and it's an all-inclusive experience. It sounds Food. like it sounds like if you're planning on WPPI, maybe you save some money and go to that instead of <laughs> instead of Vegas, Italy, Vegas. I don't know, you know. <laughs> hey, cool man. All right, well, thanks again, and uh, yeah, definitely, we'll post links to that in the in the the post for this for this interview and in YouTube and all that stuff, so people can find it. But uh, have a good trip and have a good time at WPPI, regardless. You know, make sure you're in your hotel by ten, though. <laughs> Well, I'm just saying, just know that you're not going to get anything extra after 10. No, Are you no. going to be WPBI? I, I am going to WPBI. Yep. All right, good. We'll see you there. Yeah, I'll definitely see you there. I'll be undercover. I'll be the guy in the baseball cap and the, the hoodie, you know. <laughs> what are you looking forward to most at WPBI? Um, you know what? I haven't been in a couple of years, so I'm just I'm going because I have the time to go, and I just want to look around and get a vibe for what is happening in the, in the industry, kind of like this interview. Right. So just to sort of plug back in, because I don't shoot weddings, um, I do more portrait and model type stuff. So I want to go in and just sort of see what's going on from a I'm a consumer, you know, a consumer perspective. So, yeah. yeah. And plus, you know, I know a ton of people there. So I want to say hi to lots of folks. So. Yeah, that'd be great. Yep. So, yeah, we'll definitely catch up there. Grab some coffee and hang out. Absolutely. Or- I'm in. I'm buying. <laughs> Wonderful. All right, Mike. All right. You have a good rest of your day, man. You too. And uh, guys, everyone who's going to WPI, good luck. And uh, yeah, hope all is well. Awesome. Okay, that was Mr. Mike Larson. We'll have like links to all of his presences online, including his blog, his Twitter, and all that stuff in the show notes for this episode. But definitely check that stuff out. And if you're going to WPPI and you're listening to this episode before the event, then uh, make sure you check him out over there. I believe he said he's doing a talk or something secretive, or something at WPPI, but look him up over there. Darlene, you know Mike, right? You've, you've met him before? Uh, I don't know if I met him in person. I think maybe at a trade show at WPPI, because I used to be an album rep. I was an album rep for nine years, and he was one of my clients, so I've spoken to him on the phone many, many times. Okay, good. So you know he's a genuine guy, just like he came he through is. in that interview, right? Yeah, good stuff. Hey, Doug, when are you going to start shooting weddings? What's... Uh, what's- <laughs> I, I will never shoot a wedding. Oh, never really? Because because it it's one of them. It requires more responsibility than most things in photography. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've talked about this, Frederick. When someone asks me about getting into photography as a, as a profession, I tell them go go out and work as a second shooter at a wedding. You will it will either cure you of wanting to be a professional photographer, or you'll pass the test. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what you're echoing what Mike was saying in that interview. He was yep. basically saying that a lot of people have unrealistic expectations about what wedding photography is, which leads to a lot of turnover in the industry. And, you, you know, you end up with a lot of people saying, you know, I, my business failed when they had unrealistic expectations going in to begin with. Yeah, I mean, that, those are some of the hardest working photographers out there. Yeah, I know. Valerie, uh, when, when are you adding weddings to your repertoire? <laughs> So I did that was that another already. French word, repertoire. Did you hear that? Repertoire, <laughs> very good. Uh, no, I did shoot a couple weddings many, many, many years ago. I think a lot of photographers have to try a lot of things before they find what they really love doing. And uh, and I didn't like it. And uh, it didn't take very long for me to realize that it was just not my thing. I have I admire wedding photographers. I think 
if you're really good at it and if you love what you do you can be very successful you uh, you have to love what you do I don't think you can be a successful photographer if you don't love it yeah. it's hard hard work and um, there's a certain element of S&M involved with, uh, with wedding photography <laughs> <laughs> I don't know which one depends on the weddings the taking or the giving or something but there's some kind of masochism going on there <laughs> Well, I mean, I remember the the first wedding I did, and I was it was supposed to be more of a photojournalistic approach, which was still kind of new at the time, and I felt comfortable with that. And I get to the to the wedding day, and the mother of the bride gives me a shoot list about this long, of uh, okay, photo of the groom with the grandmother, the <laughs> bride with the grandmother. Like, no, wait a minute, this was not. <laughs> That was not and, in the contract. And between and there, between seven between seven and seven fifteen, you can fit in some art. <laughs> exactly, and I was that was it. That was it yeah. for me. I'm like, I'm not putting myself in that situation the, again. Those those wedding photographers that we talked to on the show, they, I mean, like Mike and Sarah France, and mm -hmm. you know all these guys that we've had on the show that shoot weddings, Catherine Hall, their stuff is just amazing, and that's another reason why I don't feel like I'm worthy to even go out there and try it because their stuff is. Like if they're worth every penny that they get, you know, because exactly. they go out there and they get that list and they knock that list out. Plus, they make every single wedding look different and look amazing and they're worth it. So and I don't feel like I could scratch the surface on that. I, if I jumped into wedding photography, I'd be the five hundred dollar Uncle Bob, you know, <laughs> like I'll shoot them. Like Mike and I were talking about, I'll shoot your images and I'll put them on Dropbox and give you a link and we'll call it a day. <laughs> 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 Just uh, invite me for dinner. <laughs> no. uh, I, mean, I, I did weddings for 12 plus years, and I probably have 250 under my belt. Whoa, jeez. Yeah, it's, it's a lot, and they're super high stress. I know the first year I did weddings, every wedding I went out to, and this was, you know, film, right? And I didn't have a Hasselblad at the time. I did later on, but I had no Polaroid capability. So I thought I was going to throw up for the whole wedding pretty much for a year. Right. And then it's like, you got to think about, is this really what you want to do? And I love doing it when I did it, but you also have to be really good at people management. You have to be a psychologist. You have mm -hmm. to be a group mediator because you have, because this guy over here doesn't like that guy over there. And you mm -hmm. got to deal with the moms and you got to deal with this mom and that mom and people taking pictures over your shoulder and the changing yeah. light. And it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I remember one wedding I did a long time ago. It might've been with I might have been second shooting with Mike Larson or somebody, but I remember I did this wedding and I remember the bride had said something like um, during the group shot that this person can't be next to that person because that person slept with his wife and they were all there and, you know, it could get ugly if you put them on the same side of the, you know, all those kind of dynamics. So you have like Darlene, like you just said, you have all that in your head plus your exposure, where the, where's the light, making sure everything's in focus and your horizon straight and you're getting that shot list. Like Valerie mentioned, all this stuff is going on at once and your equipment has to not fail. Your batteries are charged and you've got memory cards and you got redundancy and you got the right lenses and on and on and on and on, right? It's just, it's crazy, which is why I don't shoot weddings. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> So, all right, guys, let's uh, let's jump into the listener Q&A. This is the segment where we, the TWIP hosts, answer some questions that have been at the top of some of our listeners' minds. And question number one if, is from Dennis, and he says, 
Uh, let's see. Let me read this. Is there a simple way to explain how to work with aperture shutter speed and ISO in harmony or maybe an exercise I could try? All right. All three of you guys. Um, Darlene, I'm going to throw it to you first. What do you think? What's, a, what's an easy way to get your brain around shutter speed, ISO, and aperture? Well, I, I teach it um, to my beginner students as a, as a sort of a three-legged teeter-totter. So the, imagining that to get your teeter-totter balance, you can do it any number of different ways, right, and adjust any three of those. But I usually tell them, start with the ISO first, and that's going to be decided on based on how much light there is in your scene. You know, if you're out on a bright, sunny day, keep it as low as possible. If you go inside, you're going to have to turn it up a little bit. You're in a dimly lit room, you're going to have to turn it up maybe a lot or, or coming up towards the limits of your camera. And then the other two are the balancing act and the teeter-totter. And I kind of equate it to um, filling a glass of water. So you can fill a glass of water in your sink two ways. You can turn the tap on a little bit like a drip and take an hour to fill your glass of water, or you can turn it on fully and fill your glass right away. And that's kind of how, the, for me, the shutter speed and the aperture balance out. Got it. Perfect. I love that. I love that. All right, Doug, what about you? So with well, shutter speed, aperture, ISO, how does, how does Doug I, I think it? Darlene's explanation is one of the best I've heard, actually. So, yeah, totally. uh, you know, it's, you, th- you have to think that each of them is controlling the amount of light. Mm-hmm. And the only difference is that each of them has a different side effect. So yeah, like you that. can you can cut the light in half by a stop. You can double the light by a stop, uh, or one EV. Sometimes you want to abstract it and refer to an, an exposure value unit. But you know, in one case you're going to change your depth of field. That's your trade-off. In another case, you're going to capture more a, a longer or shorter length of time. And in another case, you're going to change your noise. Uh, but all three are just changing the amount of light that gets to the sensor over a period of time. Yeah, and then to put a cap on that, the the amount of light, both of what both of you guys said, is you're adjusting those parameters to make sure the same amount of light gets to that sensor, whether it be over time or all at once. But in the end, in order to get the correct exposure or a, a usable exposure, only a certain number of photons can hit that sensor at any right. one time. I so, think the, the, the analogy of a bucket is a good one. You know, you mm-hmm. can you can. They'll, you know, you want to put a certain amount of water in the bucket. You can get a really big hose and do it quickly. You can get a smaller hose. You can get, I don't know, I haven't come up with a third metaphor. There must be a third metaphor in there somewhere. A straw. <laughs> yeah, something. Right? Rain. Um, yeah, there you go. There you go. Valerie, what about you? I know when you shoot, you, you're shooting mostly an aperture priority, right? Mm-hmm. So what was your decision to go with aperture priority? That's what I do as well. So I love, I can shoot in manual, and I know people that shoot exclusively in manual, but I, I prefer aperture, I semi-ISO and then control the aperture. Exactly. And, and uh, I, I do that because, well, my camera is pretty smart too, so I let it make some of the decisions, and I like to control my aperture. Wait a minute, and, Valerie. You just just thirty minutes ago, you said you were all manual girl. Now you're saying no, no, you no, like no, no, no. I don't shoot all <laughs> manual. Very rarely. No, I I really do shoot aperture priority, and and uh, and I always tell my students to just experiment. If yeah. if they don't understand how it works, we'll just just shoot one thing and then change your aperture, change your ISO, and see what happens. I think you have to learn by doing it. Sometimes people ask, oh, what was, what was your metadata for this picture? And I mm-hmm. always feel like, well, if I, first of all, you'll never be in the same situation I was at. Right. And if I give you the answer, you're never going to learn. So just, just try to figure it out. I, I never even look at 
my metadata. I, yeah. mean, I pretty much feel it, and I know it's going to work. And uh, and I think you learn by by experimenting. And um, and so, like I had the same question over the weekend uh, about aperture. I said, well, just mm -hmm. just experiment. It's pretty simple. You just pick a subject, change your aperture, and see what happens. And yep. and, and we have instant gratification. We can see on the back of our of our camera, and it's free. So it's so easy nowadays to experiment and see the the results right away and and improve that way. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Back in the olden days, Doug. Um, back in the olden. Now I back, shot film too. Yeah, well, <laughs> when we were all shooting film, but I can't refer to you guys. I can only refer to Doug. So we were shooting film back in the old days. The that feedback loop of, okay, I have an idea for a shoot. I shot it. Now I need to see what I did right or wrong so that I can repeat it. That was days in some cases, unless you had your own lab. It, so at the very least, it was hours, right, Doug? Mm -hmm. And yeah. now, now it's it's seconds that you can get that feedback loop. So there's no excuse to just. I mean, you could sit and take pictures of your feet while you're watching, you know, the the Walking Dead, and change your aperture and see what differences make. See how much of your legs are in focus. At, at different f-stops and get it into your brain. Oh, that's what's happening when that's I change it. it. Yeah, oh, while watching Walking Dead? <laughs> no, pictures of my feet. <laughs> well, we all think that's, that's the universal new camera subject, right? <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, let's move on to question number two. It's from Stuart um, in England. He says... Let me see if I can find the right part of this question. He says he's got a number of prints that he wants to scan, but he's getting a lot of dust when he views them after he scans them. Um, he's not expecting too much in the way of quality, but he's scanning mainly for safe storage, and he wants to uh, he wants improvement. He wipes off his the glass or the platen when he scans with a with a dust free cloth, and it doesn't seem to make any difference. He wants to know how do you improve the results when you're scanning on a flatbed scanner to get nice noise-free or dust-free images. Darlene, you want to take this one? Um, the first thing that I thought of was he mentioned a lint-free cloth, but he didn't mention a static-free cloth. Um, when I used mm. to do dry mounting and stuff in my studio, it was essential to not get any dust underneath the print or you end up with basically a, a dimple on your print or, or a bump. So get an anti-static cloth or some of those brushes you can get that are, you know, you you. I don't know, you shake them and they anti-stat. So mm -hmm. I would start there. And then um, I don't know how advanced this person is that asked the question whether or not they have Photoshop, but this is where the dust and scratches filter is your friend. It's magic. Um, you, can, yeah. you can turn it on and it tends to make the picture look too fuzzy. But if you do it, if you do it as a smart object and a smart filter, put on the dust and scratches filter and then increase the threshold, what it does is it, it, it fine-tunes a little bit so it only removes the spots and it doesn't blur the rest of your image so much. I love that. Do you know what about the? I know back when I was when I was playing with scanners a lot, I had to I had this exercise where, for some reason, I was entrusted with a bunch of the, or all of the family photos because I'm a photographer. Um, so I spent you know half my life scanning in all these these images. And I remember back when I was doing that. You guys may remember what was it? Is a scan maker? It was a scan maker flatbed scanner, and it had this algorithm in the plugin that would, on the fly, but before the image got to your computer, would do some magic to remove dust and scratches from it. But I found that I, I had to turn that off because it never. It basically made the whole image blurry, which you know was 
the antithesis of the point of scanning in the first place. So I don't know. I mean, is there, are there, Darlene, would you say there's any software available that will help you do that on import or just do it in Photoshop after you get the image? Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I don't do a lot of scanning prints in, anymore. Um, so it's not really something that I have a lot of experience yeah. doing, but yeah. I would say that keep your sharpness down a bit when you're scanning, because if you increase the sharpness too, that's going to emphasize the spots. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys, we're running short on time. Let's jump into the picks of the week. This is the segment where you guys, the guests, can pick anything to recommend to the audience as long as it is somehow related to photography. Valerie, let's throw it to you first. What is your pick of the week? Well, it's actually nothing new. I've been using it for a few months now, but it's my Canon 40mm pancake lens. I'm still in love with it. It's so tiny, and uh, and all this time that I've been talking about getting a micro four third camera, uh, the the solution for now has been to use my DSLR with mm -hmm. the pancake lens, which is what an inch thick, and it makes my camera so so much smaller and inconspicuous, and I love it. I like it for street photography. I think it's perfect, and I like to get close. And this and this doesn't look very. I mean. It doesn't make my camera look. look yeah, it's like, like how much? How much is camera. that thing? It's cheap, right? Hundred, hundred forty-nine dollars. Wow. It is sharp. It's sharp. I mean, I love my, I love my fifty-millimeter lens, but I love this one better. Love it, love it. Cool. It's great. Yeah. If so I had a, if I had a Canon or planned on getting one in the future, I would consider getting that Canon for you. It's fun and it's light. It's comfortable. You know, it's uh, as I as I said, it's sweetness, sharpness, and lightness for one hundred forty nine dollars. And I'm not getting any money from Canon, although I probably sold a few hundreds of those because everybody who saw the pictures I did with them is buying one because it's such a good value. Wow, so that's there. great. Well, I mean, for 149 you can buy a backup too, right? That's cool. right. All right, Doug K., what's your pick of the week? All right, now I know everybody's listening to this on audio, but I'm, for the few of us who are here, I'm going to hold this up. What you're looking at is my iPad wirely connected to my, what is that? That's a D600, and that's live view from my iPad. Okay? So I'm looking at your D600 sending video to your iPad live, which you're then holding up to the webcam. Right. Some, you're going to cross the streams here. Something's going to yeah, happen. I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to all explode in a moment. Uh, so this is a, this is a gadget called Cam Ranger. Uh, there are actually two devices out there, same price, 300 bucks. Cam Ranger and one called Camera Mater. I've never used Camera Mater, but I own a Cam Ranger. Um, and what it is, it's here. I'll just disconnect it here again. Only people who can see this video can see this, but it's a little gadget, size of a pack of cigarettes for those who used to smoke. Um, and it connects via USB to your camera, your Nikon or your Canon, unfortunately, I think that's all. And it connects to your iOS and future uh, Android device via Wi-Fi. Mm -hmm. And it gives you full remote control of the camera, or pretty full. You can do, you have an intervalometer. You have live view. You can focus. You can change uh, aperture f-stop, ISO, um, you can change, you know, RAW versus JPEG. You can change all sorts of things, all via Wi-Fi. It's a very, very cool device. Um, I bought the Cam Ranger. I love it. Uh, the Camera Mater um, was made, is, I don't know who makes it. There's a company out there called Hyper. We all, a lot of us have Hyper Drives. Mm -hmm. And Hyper 
sold this until a few weeks ago, and now it seems to be available from a new company. So I don't know much about that one, but I think the Camera Ranger is a pretty good gadget. So, and I see the notes here; it's three hundred bucks. So, what? What? Give me a use case for that, because I've seen those kind of remote gadgets before, and I can never get my brain around how I would use it. You know, I, like even in a studio situation, if I was doing a model shoot. I'm going to handhold the camera. When 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 would Doug K use this kind of setup? There there are two. What first of all, the intervalometer is really good. And you know, if you're going to if you want to be a distance any distance from your camera, the intervalometer is good. For example, let's say you're shooting stuff and it's really cold out and you want to sit in the car because you're doing a time lapse mm-hmm. at night. You're let's say you live in Edmonton, for example. <laughs> Right, um, you might want to use something like this. The other is now. There's a, here's a here's a really weird use case, which is let's say you put such a camera up on a tripod and you want to capture some street shots of people walking past an interesting background, but you don't want to look like you're taking a picture, and uh, you want to sit there and you want to be able to click and click and click. I know that's just that's a, a little that's do. a little creepy. That's a little creepy, Doug. Yeah, yeah but <laughs> you get you get great pictures that way. But if you think about it. There are many situations. Let's say you want to do, uh, basically, it's anytime you want to shoot tethered. Let's say you're going to be in the studio. You're shooting macro work, and you're shooting tethered, but you want to be wireless tethered. You want to be untethered tethered, if there's such such a thing. That's what this is. This is, this, This is almost the same as working with a tethering application without the wire. I see Valerie like rolling her eyes over there. She's like, too <laughs> no, much technology. Other, no, 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 no. I was actually thinking of other scenarios. Uh, wildlife photography. Yeah. Like you set your really? camera near a den or something. Or surveillance. Like if you're a, a private detective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what I was thinking, Doug, is when you were mentioning that, I was thinking of my GoPro Hero 3, which you held up a second ago or a few <laughs> minutes ago, which has a built-in Wi-Fi transmitter, which will transmit its signal live to your iPhone, and then you can control the whole thing from your iPhone. So we're seeing in the new Nikon D7 7100, is that right? 71, yeah, 7100 that we talked about last week on the show has that capability as well to transmit video directly to a receiver like an iPhone. So that that seems like that capability is becoming the standard. Not th- but even when I see that, I could see on the GoPro because you could be like, okay, I want to stick the camera to my helmet and go skiing downhill and I want to be able to hit the buttons or I'm skydiving and I want to be able to hit the buttons. I can't reach and control the UI on the camera. But on a DSLR, I still, I'm still trying to get my brain around when I would actually want a remote control. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna loan you my Cam Ranger, and you'll be really upset because it's gonna cost you three hundred dollars to buy one. Okay, all right, I'll, <laughs> I'll just take yours. <laughs> meet How me, far meet, could it? Hey, Doug, let's have lunch in Oakland. How about yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah. All right, Darlene, Darlene, what about you? What's your What's your pick of the week? Well, I'm going to add, first of all, I thought of a use for Doug's little device because I'm getting more and more into doing interviews. So what if I'm doing, if you want to do something where you're talking and videotaping yourself, but you don't have somebody to run the camera, I think that would be a great application, too, to run your video camera. And you just look in the iPad, you can, you know, check your your makeup or your hair, (laughs) as it were. In theory, it all sounds really good, but in practice, I bet, you know, like for me, I just know I need to. I need to hold that thing and see my composition and click the button, you know? I don't know. That's, I I'm old school, it. though. I'm I old school. Yeah, to try it. So my pick for the week is um, I'm also a big photo walk fan and, and advocate. 
I tell people that are um, just getting into photography and want to learn more because my students always ask me, how can I learn that? How did you get it, you know, how, so quick? And I said, well, the biggest thing that I learned fast is I was in photography school, so I was in, like, photography immersion, right? So the mm. more you can get out and shoot, the better. So my share this week is actually um, an event system, if you will, called Drink and Click. It was started by a guy named Juan, Juan Gonzalez in uh, Austin, Texas, I believe he's from. And the website is just drinkandclick.com. And the premise is it's a photo walk, but with a social element involved. So you, you, you take some photos, then you go stop and have a, a couple of drinks. And a couple of drinks could be a coffee or a hot chocolate, like we did here, because it was minus 15 Celsius on our first one. Or it could be a beer or a glass of wine or whatever your pleasure. You know, they, they don't uh, advocate drinking alcoholic beverages, but if that's your pleasure, feel free and um, exercise you know, safe driving, of course. Of course. But it's a great way to meet other uh, photographers, other hobbyists, and just hang out and have a really good time. Plus, he's got some really great sponsors like um, Smug Mug and Think Tank. And there's a couple more which escape me right now, but they're listed on the website. And every month they have uh, first, second, and third place contest, and it's free to enter, it's free to go, and you can win some great prizes. Love it. And where, what's the URL to, to find it's, out more about that? It's drinkandclick.com, and then you'll be redirected to the blog, and you can find your local chapter. If there isn't one, you can apply to be a leader. Love it. Very cool. All right. Drink and click. All right. Thanks, Darlene. And uh, my quick picks are – I actually just have one, and it's Don Komarechka. So – um, another one of our neighbors to the north, Darlene, Don Komarechka. He is, he's been on TWIP a number of times talking about the, his uh, snowflake project. He's sort of become the de facto expert, as far as I know, on doing macro photography of snowflakes and multiple layers and image compositing to get insane depth of feel out of those things. Um, but he is putting together a book on it, and he's got kind of a, a Kickstarter-type project going on that uh, – let's see. I'm looking at my notes. Yeah, um, a Kickstarter-type project where you can help him fund it. I think he needs to get up to, what, five grand or six grand or something in order to get the thing funded. So uh, if you could just click on the link in the show notes, go over there, contribute, help him get this thing out. I would imagine because of how meticulous Don is, this book is going to be insane and insanely detailed. If you ever had any thoughts on wanting to learn anything regarding macro photography, this is probably going to push you over the top. So at the very least, go check it out and watch the video he put up there kind of explaining his project and what he's doing. And... Just search for his name on Google Plus, and you'll see some of his work there. So it's awesome. And Darlene, you did an interview with him recently, right? I did a couple months ago. Yeah, and I have a set of his snowflake greeting cards, and they're uh, they're really really cool. I love it. I love it. I actually. So you have greeting cards. He sent me an actual snowflake on a slide, preserved. So <laughs> wow. So there. Wow. <laughs> a little piece of Canada in California. <laughs> so. All right, guys. Thank you for those picks of the week. Um, the uh, looks like wow, the, the show went fast. We're at the end of another episode. Valerie Jardin, where can people go to keep up with you? Um, my website, uh, valeriejardinphotography.com, and that's V A L E R I E J A R D I N photography, all in one word. Mm -hmm. I spent most of my social media time on face my Facebook page, on Google Plus now too, and Twitter. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, yes, my uh, workshops spring and summer are full, but I added Minneapolis in September because June filled up. And then I'm starting to fill up uh, France, Paris, and Normandy in October. So there's still space, though. Love it. Love it. All right. We'll definitely check those out. We'll put links to your workshops in the show notes for this episode Thank so people can, can get over there. I want to I have a, a disproportionate number of TWIP people on your workshops, so please sign up for that. Well, I have a few. I want nice. more than a few. I want, I want to wait it. <laughs> the TWIP army representing in Paris. So, <laughs> All right. Thanks, Valerie. Doug, where, what about you? Where can people go to uh, keep up with Doug K.? So if you want to know what I'm up to, if you want to follow me, go to Google+. Plus. That's where I spend most of my time. But if you uh, want to see the portfolio, just go to DougK.com. DougK, K-A-Y-E.com. Cool. Awesome. And our newbie who made it through her first This Week in Photo show unscathed. Whee! Look at that. You made it through the hazing. Darlene Hildebrandt, where are you at online? You can find me on my website, which is Her View. So that's like the TV show, but it's Her, H-E-R-V-I-E-W, photography.com. I'm Pro Photo Tutor on Twitter. You can find me on Google+, and you can also find Her View Photography on Facebook as well. Excellent. And we'll put links to all of those so people don't have to remember that. Put links to everything in the notes for this episode. So thank you. And Darlene, thank you for coming on this episode. It was good to have you. Your first time out. I survived. Thanks, Frederick. You did. You're welcome. All right, uh, listeners, if you want to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, you can check us out at thisweekinphoto.com. And also, be sure to join our community on Google+. And like I mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to be doing that critique. So if you have some images or preferably an image, put your best foot forward um, that you'd like us to look at and comment on in the panel style, please put that in the community. And finally, if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me at frederickvan.com. And with that, it's time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production. Produced by Suzanne Llewellyn. With technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.